Signal is a podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. I'm your host and the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril McGlego. Twice a month, we'll use this space to shine a light on the right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. We'll talk to guests who will help listeners navigate these perilous political waters by providing insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive routes. Today on The Signal, and for the last episode of season one, I'm honored to welcome two gentlemen who are truly institutions of knowledge about the history and politics of Bucks County. Republican Andy Warren has been involved in Bucks County politics since the 1970s, most notably serving for 15 years as an elected county commissioner. Hal Markovitz spent 30 years in daily journalism, and for much of that time was assigned to cover the tumultuous politics of the county. We'll talk about their recently published book, Notes on Bucks County, Reflections on Politics in Pennsylvania's Most Curious and Captivating Collar County, where they've combined their expertise to analyze the major, and I'd say really interesting political events that have occurred locally over the past 75 years. Hi, Andy. Hi, Hal. Welcome to The Signal. How do you do? Pleasure to be here with you, wherever here is. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Um, thank you. So you two both wrote what I believe is just a really extraordinary book. Um, it's thank called you. Notes on Bucks County, Reflections on Politics in Pennsylvania's Most Curious and Captivating Collar County. Why did you decide to write this book together? And can, can you just share with listeners the kind of origin story of this project? Andy and I, uh, I, I left journalism in 2006, uh, after having covered Andy for the majority, if not the entirety of his political career. And after uh, leaving my newspaper, we would get together from time to time to have lunch and, you know, uh, just, you know, reminisce. It came to a point a few years ago, uh, I guess around 2018, maybe, Andy had been to the funerals of Mike Fitzpatrick and Carl Finash, both within a few months. Mike Fitzpatrick, a former member of Congress and county commissioner, uh, Carl Finash, a, a former county commissioner. And Andy was very good friends with them. And one a Democrat, one a Republican. Yes, right, bipartisan as ever. And he, uh, so we had lunch and he told me of going to these two funerals. And he said the notion had occurred to him that a lot of history of Bucks County was being lost by the uh, folks who are no longer around to tell it. And he kind of raised the idea of how, how do we do this? How do we relate uh, this really significant historical uh, aspects of the county government, or not the county government, but the county itself and I said, well, I think you're talking about writing a book. <laughs> and so that's how it started. And I can't write, but Hal certainly can. And it was also apparent that as good friends professionally that we were, respect for each other's profession, we also had uh, differing political views. Hal was um, left of center. I'm right of center, not way right or not way left, but differing views. 
And the more, and I can't write a sentence that doesn't run on for three pages. Hal, on the other hand, made a lifetime writing. So we just came together and uh, one developed that way. And the other part of that, and I'll stop with this, is there are, when, when you ask someone, where are you from? They'll tell you Miami, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles. Um, very few places can you say, I'm from Dade County, Cook County, Orange County, Bucks County because of the background. So it just made sense to me and to us, I mean, that the time had come that someone ought to put some things on paper while there's still time to do it. Well, I'm, I'm glad you, you both had that, that idea and actually followed through with it. You were just talking about your, um, you know, the differing political opinions that you both had have. And that leads me to kind of the way this book was formatted or, or, or structured, which I thought was kind of unique. You know, you had the main writing that was kind of like driving the arc of the history of Bucks County, but then it was interspersed with like commentary and analysis from you both. And I think it, it works really great. I thought, I thought it was, you pulled it off, you know, perfectly, but you know, who, who came up with this idea and, and why? Well, those are the notes. Uh, when it says notes on Bucks County, we said we decided what we'll do is we'll add our own little, you know, uh, segues, our own little opinions, uh, observations, that sort of thing to the stories we were telling. I started covering the Buck County government in the late 70s, and I continued up until 2006. Andy was there for the whole period. So those were several decades that each of us had a front row seat at what was going on. So I felt we we were qualified to do that, to drop our own little comments in on the historical data, the, the histories that we were telling. And so, Andy, oh, go ahead. No, I, was, I was just going to say, follow up on, on Hal's point, that we both saw the same event, but had slightly different takes of, of it. And that's what the notes are. The, and I must say the note idea um, by and large was Hal's and it fit right in perfectly with the what became uh, the theme of the book. So Andy, why is Bucks County the most curious and captivating Philadelphia Collar County? <laughs> uh, because of its history, because of its culture. Many, many people don't realize that in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, the New York swing set came to Bucks County in the summer. Oscar Hammerstein wrote um, portions of Oklahoma from Doylestown. Pearl Buck was a Bucks County resident. Uh, Margaret, Martha, Margaret Mead was a Bucks giant, James Michener. Um, what's her name? Parker. Um, <laughs> Dorothy Parker. Yeah, yeah, Dorothy Parker, yes. And so there was that aspect of it. George Washington crossed the Delaware from Bucks County. Uh, he did come back, by the way, too. Coming, no one leaves Bucks County. Um, but throughout its history, and then the uh, steel mill, came to this farm county in the 1960s, 50s and 60s, which completely turned the um, footprint of the county 
and then with Levitt, the county was totally different. So it's one of the unique places in the United States that has the culture, the history, and the um, change of environment. Hal, um, let's start with you on this next question, and then Andy, you can give your answer as well. Do you have a favorite story from the book? You know, a favorite event or a history? There's two chapters in the book devoted to the pump, the Point Pleasant Water Project. And I mean, I, I covered every minute of that story that which went on for years. And of course, Andy was very involved as a decision maker in that whole in that whole process. Those so we devoted two chapters to that to that issue. And it was just absolutely thrilling, if you will, to just to just dive back into that issue, tell the story, uh, the way it unfolded over decades, and what it how how it erupted, what it turned into, and um, what else can I say? You know, we're talking about the pump. One of the significant developments in the book, uh, in the story, and I didn't know this uh, when. Uh, I was covering the issue, but after learning about it, I was absolutely flattened by it. When we interviewed former uh, Bucks County Commissioner Charles Martin, who for many years had been uh, one of Philadelphia Electric Company's community relations people, if you will, in Bucks County. And he told us that PICO had planted spies in Delaware, the environmental group Delaware, to you know, so they could they could uh, gain, gather intelligence on Delaware. I was absolutely flattened by that, and I'm the first thought that entered my mind was, if I had known this in 1983, I would have won a Pulitzer Prize. But <laughs> I didn't I didn't know it then. But I, you can imagine. I mean, here we are, four decades later, and there's still stuff coming out about this story. Amazing. If you had done that in 2023, you could be coach of Michigan University football team. Yeah, I mean, that was almost like a corporate COINTELPRO program that they were carrying out. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, it's fascinating, you know, about like Abby Hoffman coming to, you know, being part of this story. And and the fact that like Jim Greenwood, you know, former Congressman Jim Greenwood, would was hanging out with Abby Hoffman, this yippie radical leftist anti-war icon, shooting bottle rockets together. Yes, I, I almost feel like today yes. <laughs> they'd be shooting bottle rockets at Abby Hoffman. And I, I would just follow up on Hal's part that the that op, pump it two chapters were really well. I, I think one of the most telling parts of Bucks County history since the revolution or civil war. Um, it was far more impactful, emotional with the thousands of people who demonstrated, etc. But one of the ironic parts of that was Abby Hoffman gave me one of the greatest compliments I've ever had in my life. And when people say, look at me and say, what are you talking about? You're, you know, if he said today's Friday, I'm going to say no. It's the day after Thursday, which is true, Phil, governmentally. But the Delaware, the people who hired Hoffman, were had a fundraiser up in New York to pay him 
They were, they had a big dance at Club 47 or 54 or whatever it is. <laughs> and they got, and, and they, and they, they find, didn't pay them. They raised the money and they put it somewhere else. And at one point, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Hal who told me this, that Abby Hoffman said, if I had a choice of being in a foxhole with the Delaware people who were going to pay me or Andy Warren, I would choose Andy Warren because I'd know where my slings and arrows were coming. <laughs> and I, I thought that, that was great. But along with that, another chapter of part of the book that I look to that, that many of readers would not understand or realize at one point, the commissioner, the, the courts, the judges sued the commissioners in the county because their budget wasn't being filled up enough. And it ended up in ultimately worked its way to the court in Harrisburg. And the commissioners were not getting, you know, you go to court and being sued by judges it's like getting a divorce and having your mother-in-law make settlement. You ain't going to do too good. And we weren't doing too well. But oh, we were up in Harrisburg. Howe was there, the only reporter from the county covering it. And in the course of the covering of it, he and was talking with our attorney, Bob White, the attorney. They got discussing lamenting frustrations on each side. And... Um, White said, well, I'm going to go get some lunch. The notes that I intend to use, I'm going to leave here on the desk. He walked out of the room. The notes are on the desk. An inquiring reporter checked with him, checked it out, and wrote a story over the weekend that completely turned the judge's way of thinking. I thought that was really the way a lot of things occur, and had it not been for the inquiring reporter, we'd, we'd have lost big time. As it turned out, uh, surprise, surprise, the courts ultimately said, all right, well, judges, you want $5 million. Commissioners, you want to give them $2 million. Um, we're going to settle this $3.5 million. <laughs> that was... The, the court, but his story turned that on its ear. I think that's part of the background that many people don't see, and I find so fascinating. You cover quite a bit of you know the political history in Bucks County, and you you both, in my opinion, are kind of like institutions of knowledge, <laughs> given the depth and breadth of your experience. Means that we're old. <laughs> um, Andy, with you with, in, in politics, and Hal with you with your with your journalism. I was wondering, you know, how do you think politics has changed in Bucks County? Um, the Republican and Democratic parties, maybe from the time of, like, say, like you know, former Congressman Jim Greenwood and, and Kosmeyer um, to today. Well, obviously, for starters, it's when I covered Bucks County, it was. A Republican county. There were, from time to time, some Democrats who won countywide elections. Peter Kostmeyer, certainly first foremost among them. But mostly, if you were uh, writing uh, stories about who was going to win an election, 
you could write that the Republicans won and then go home early that night, so to speak. Okay. At some point, the demographics changed, the political climate changed, the Republican Party went further right than I think the average Bucks County Republican was comfortable with. The Democrats got their act together. They got new leadership. It was sort of like, I think we called it the perfect storm in the book that, you know, saw the transition from being a red county to, you could say, purple county, but it seems to be a bit bluer than purple (laughs) these days. So, you know, I think that's the main, one of the main uh, factors that uh, is different than it was some years ago. It's just a different place to live than it was in the 1980s, the 1970s, whatever. Andy? No, I, I agree. The, the demo, demographics have changed, no doubt about it. But in, in some respects, I think the candidates have changed. There was no more divisive issue than the pump, as we talked about. Yet Carl Finash and I were, remained friends through the whole thing. If you walked into a commissioner's meeting on any given Wednesday and saw the two of us espousing our positions, you would have thought the average would have, would have thought, my God, those two must hate each other. And that wasn't the co- So I think in the 80s, people could, I mean, candidates could separate the issue from the person far more than is visible today. They, there's so much Repub- white right and left. My wife and I went to vote Tuesday. And the guy, the gentleman who's running for supervisor in Middletown, his brother played baseball at Council Rock with uh, my wife's uh, son. So we've known each other. We went over and shook hands and gave a hug of recognition. We walked 10 feet over to the Republican side. And one of the Republican committee people came up and said, what are you doing hugging the uh, enemy? (laughs) And um, Elaine talked about that all the way home. This is what's wrong today. That's not the enemy. And, And she was right in many cases. You've got, we must begin in this country to separate the issue from the personality or we're going to hit bottom if we ain't there yet we're going to hit it real soon and that's what hopefully some of the things in this book will bring out that government was should be about people it should be real people with views that want to bring them forward not want to cut the knees out from under their opponent when do you think that changed and why? Do you, can you recall a time when you started um, seeing the shift in the tone and tenor of politics locally? The 1960s uh, um, Vietnam changed. And frankly, now we could have another whole program about this. I really do believe that there was an insidious um, decades-long process through schools, entertainment, and unfortunately journalism to sway the philosophy of America as to anti-America. And I think the biggest, the biggest single issue is the lack, the loss 
of the daily newspaper, in my opinion. Because, like I said, 70% of good voters, good citizens have no idea. And if you vote a month before the election, that's all right. You know, you know, candidates haven't even formed their position publicly, and a third of the vote is in. I'll just say that it was Republicans that helped push through Act 77, wasn't it, in Harrisburg? That, that, that was not a, a Democratic vote. Stupid ones, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. Um, what about you, Hal? Um, any comments on on the kind of change of tone and tenor in local politics? I mean, you you can't get over the fact that things have gotten nastier and uh, more personal. Andy's right. You know, uh, back when he was serving in office, Republicans and Democrats could be and were certainly good friends. They knew each other. They worked uh, together in the same government. I don't think you see that anymore. I think it's become uh, more divided than ever. And I don't know why. Uh, it's, it's, it just seems it's, it's so much more for, about a grab for power now than it's ever been before. And there's less, uh, you know, th- there's less willingness to work together to work out the, the problems. Look at the you know the House of Representatives right now, and and just how dysfunctional it is. And I, I tend to, to believe it's all personality driven. There, it's their refusal to to get along. Our local congressman uh, uh, Brian Fitzpatrick is part of something. I think it's called the Problem Solvers Caucus, something like that. And they're supposed to be able to work together to go across the aisle and, and get things done, which is very fine. But I don't think they have any influence on either side. I don't know what problems they've managed to solve. It doesn't seem like even a group of members of Congress, well-intentioned, let's together and let's get together and work this out. They're in such a minority that do they do they really have any impact at all on on the business of the House? I don't see it. I would probably agree with that. And I think the most effective thing that the Problem Solvers Caucus has accomplished is just creating a brand for lawmakers to kind of run on. Because like you said, what is their list of accomplishments? I would say it's sure if you're looking at it through a perspective of actually meaningful and impactful legislation um, dealing with some of the biggest issues today. If the Bucks County Beacon is going to be here for the long haul and save the area from becoming a news desert where extremism and authoritarianism flourishes, we need the community to invest in our independent media project so that we can continue to produce this podcast and publish news, analysis, and progressive opinion daily on our website. Go to buckscountybeacon.com support the beacon and become a monthly sustainer today. To, to stick with you, Hal, and then Andy, we'll get back to you. How is, you know, because Andy, you had, you had mentioned the kind of, you know, uh, the unfortunate impact that the state of journalism has had. How, tell me how journalism has changed in Bucks County, um, because, you know, I've talked about this before elsewhere, but, you know, the Bucks County Carrier Times and the Intelligencer are shells of what they once were, whereas in your time, you know, they, there would probably be what, 40, 50 staffers, stringers, editors alike. And, and now you might even be able to fit the whole staff in a bathtub. We, there was a time 
There was a time when at county commissioner meetings, there was a table specifically for journalists, and there were at least a half dozen, Fred Selby from the Bulletin, someone from the Intelligent Courier, Intelligencer, WI, um, uh, WNPV, WBCB, we're all there. Today, because I, I, I don't have a life, I've gone to every single commissioner meeting for the last four years. There's one person um, from the Courier, and I guess Intelligencer, who shows up, one, and she covers, she's got to cover the whole thing. And the other, the biggest, biggest thing, aside from there is no journalism today, in my opinion, but if Hal had a story where a Democrat said, Andy Warren's built backwards, his nose runs and his feet smell, <laughs> before that story was in the paper, I would get a call from the reporter saying, they said this is this about you. And there was always in, in and I'm talking the, the third, the seventies, eighties, there was always an opportunity to get both sides of the, of a story. Now, so many of them make up the God, the God dog on stuff and they, they don't even facts. My mind's made up. Don't confuse me with facts. Um, and I'm talking writers. That's the big. That's what's missing. Oh well, I'll be happy to uh, weigh in on this uh, since I spent 30 years of my life doing this. Obviously, the business model of print journalism doesn't work anymore. the The papers that remain successful. You're talking about the Washington Post, which is owned by. Jeff Bezos, who has billions of dollars and doesn't care how much money that the paper loses, uh, which is, you know, say what you want about Jeff Bezos. He saved the Washington Post. And contributes heavily to the Democrat Party. Right. So uh, locally, uh, you're right. The Intelligencer, where I worked for four years, the Courier Times, uh, they are just a sliver of what they used to be. And they're making it the only way they can. They're basically surviving day to day. And that's probably what you're going to see for a while. The basic problem or one, one of the basic problems I see when I read a newspaper story today is just the lack of work that goes into putting that story together. So often you see a, a story about whatever issue, political issue, let's say, and the story, the reporter writing the story is pulling quotes off of uh, Twitter uh, feeds, that sort of thing, Facebook posts, whatever. Uh, some politicians uh, responded this way on Twitter. I, I mean, I just shudder when I read that. When I was doing the job, uh, you know, I picked up the phone and called. Okay, and the basic one of the basic rules of journalism is when you ask a question, you may get an answer that you didn't expect. And you can't get that answer unless you actually ask the question. So that's what really is missing in many cases from today's journalism. The reporters are just not doing the footwork needed to really properly dig out a story. And it's you know not all their fault. As we said, their resources are, are very much diminished and uh, they don't have that the, the resources to chase down stories the way we did 25 years ago. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been a longtime critic of the career and intelligencer because of, you know, their coverage, 
there are often lack of coverage and what I at least identified in the years past is kind of like, I would say like uh, a right leaning and Andy, you might disagree with me and you can respond after, but you know, a right leaning kind of, um, you know, bias in the editorial pages. That being said, I, th- I still like you, Andy, think it's a travesty um, that the courier isn't a vibrant paper with a, you know, an army of reporters uh, providing the depth and breadth of coverage that's necessary in order to have an informed electorate, right? Um, which is uh, essential to democracy functioning. You know, at the Bucks County Beacon, like, you know, we're a progressive media outlet, but we don't hide that. Like, you know, I, I'm wearing that badge on my shirt and I'm letting people know about that. And there's a history of, you know, ideological media in the United States, which I've been part of. And I'm a small level, a local level, you know, whether it's the nation or in these times on the left or National Review or Human Events or, you know, even Broad and Liberty now, the DelVal Journal, which gives it news and analysis from a conservative perspective. But you, you know, what we do, I, I think we, you know, we are, we should be complementary to what the Bucks County Carrier Times and the Intelligencer, like the role they should be playing and and that they're not um, in Bucks County. Andy, if you you had anything. No, I I totally agree with you. And and you talk about an army of reporters. I'd be happy with a a platoon, you know, um, (laughs) but you're absolutely right. But, and then we come back to the point of, as a reader, so readers, Talk about young adults, um, 20 to 35 today, they don't want to or seem to care to pick up a paper in the morning or night and look through it to see what's said. They want to put on a, on, go on the machine here and see Instagram with no backup whatsoever in Hal's day and age that if he printed something that he thought was right and had no sources, he would have, he wouldn't have 30 days employment, let alone (laughs) 30 years. And that's part of the problem. I have no problem with a, a beacon or, or the uh, Delaware Valley uh, right left newspaper. If you know what the, but, but at least when you make your point, get the other side and to see where it's wrong. But we don't have that today at all. Let me just make one point here about this whole discussion on the media. And that is that, yes, uh, there's a fewer reporters showing up at these meetings, uh, governmental meetings, fewer stories being written about them, fewer newspapers being published. Yes, it's absolutely all true. In this past election, I did notice one uh, troubling aspect, though. The Philadelphia Inquirer did what it always does, is, and it endorses candidates in uh, specific races. In this year's Bucks County Commissioner's race, the Philadelphia Inquirer endorsed the Democratic candidates. Newspaper noted in its endorsement of the Democratic candidates that the Republican candidates never showed up for an interview with the editorial board. Okay. I'm not pointing at Republicans here, or I'm not pointing at Democrats, but if the politicians aren't even going to bother to show up, 
return your calls or whatever, maybe there's there's some blame that's spread around here. Let's get those politicians to to want to talk to reporters, to want to engage with the few who are left, and maybe that'll help slow the uh, you know the um, the slide down the mountain a little. Just a point. To totally make. agree. I I absolutely agree with that. I thought it was the biggest mistake ever not to go. Like you know, go where your enemy, not enemy, where the opposition is. They they can do many wise and wonderful things. They can't read minds. And 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 I and again, let me say, I would have gone. They should have gone. They should be there. But part of the reason they didn't go is because. They, they don't think they'll get a fair shot. And that's a whole different issue. But I, whether you think you're going to get a fair shot or not, show up because you've given the opposition the talking points rightly that Hal just made. If you remember um, Al Franken, the uh, Minnesota. Right. The, the, uh, the victim of cancel culture, so to speak. I, I recall an interview with him once when he was still in the Senate. And he was urging his his fellow progressives to go on Fox News to uh, yep. to give your position on Fox News. Just don't go on. Just don't refuse to go on because it's Fox News and you know what they're like there. Go on Fox News and give your position. And I don't think many of his colleagues took him up on it. But if the candidates are refusing to go on the editorial board because, well, we know what they're going to say anyway. No, that's not going to work. Okay. No. Nope. No. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, we, we've we've seen a few Dems do that, like Bernie Sanders and Gavin Newsom, and actually think they performed pretty well going yeah. on a media that it, you know. Sure. And Fox News says continually that they've asked Democrats to come on, and they they won't. They don't. So Hal's point is absolutely correct. To piggyback on that, and just to kind of diverge off a little bit, is just another. Th- thing that I've noticed is lack of like debates between uh, candidates running for races uh, and a lack of town halls. Um, I don't even know if Brian Fitzpatrick has done one public town hall since he's been in Congress. I, I think that's just like, that's a huge problem. For the for the country for Bucks County um, now and moving forward. I was wondering what you guys thought about that. Oh, I agree. I don't think Brian has had a single town hall since he's been elected. I think he's done some telephone town halls, which I don't think count. Okay, no, you got to get out there and be surrounded by people and hear them and and be go one on one with them. And if they're going to stand up and call you names and chew you out or whatever, well, that's what you are elected for to to listen to it. So no, I think he should be. I think there should be more of that type of retail politics that you don't see much of anymore. Once again, I totally agree. The fact that there's no debates is absurd these days. But once the, the League of Women Voters or the, the papers say we, we won't sponsor a debate unless both sides agree. Well, I say baloney. If, if, if I'm a candidate and you're a candidate, and I want to, and I'll go to a debate, and you won't leave an empty chair. That says something. But part of the problem is incumbents figure, oh, if there's a debate, it just gives my opponent a platform. Well, yeah, 
but take it, you coward. I mean, it, it's baloney. And that, along with the lack of newspaper, I mean, coverage, that lack of one-on-one public debates, uh, discussions, is what's the problem. And as far as the town halls, I agree up to the point of it can't just be a, a, a steel cage death match where the audience is screaming and throwing tomatoes and all that. That That's no good. If the audience will behave itself, then candidate, I mean, uh, elected people have got to have the guts to show up. Yeah, no, great point. I mean, I remember like Arlen Specter taking a lot of slings and arrows um, for, I think he supported uh, Obamacare. The question is like, can people engage in a civic debate and dialogue? Not not to take away their passion about the issues, but can they do it in a way that doesn't kind of resort to personal and ad hominem attacks? Um, To wrap up this conversation, you know, we've been talking about like the history and the present of like Bucks County. Uh, What do you see for the future if you're looking into your crystal ball? Uh, You mean on a a political uh, scale or social scale or? Yeah, like politically. um, Do you you think, is there any hope that we're kind of, kind of, you know, go back to a more kind of like, civic and, and and friendly politics where, you know, maybe someone like, you know, Andy and I can go out to lunch and just have a conversation and agree to disagree or, you know, even like just different elected officials can do that where you think we're just going to keep falling down this rabbit hole. I think the uh, rabbit hole is going to get uh, bigger and uh, slicker. <laughs> I think we're going to have- fall down the rabbit hole and it's going to we're going to fall faster than we did before i absolutely cannot picture bipartisanship or or however you want to describe it really becoming the um the theme of the day okay i think it's going to be a a long slog by both sides to uh, destroy the other side uh and if it is a long slog there won't be any sides left because all that we're going to ultimately do is destroy the process, destroy the whole thing. I will tell you, too, that one of the things that drove me absolutely bonkers was the Republicans don't have a voice in Bucks County any longer. Because with the three commissioners, for four years, the minority commissioner, the Republican commissioner, has voted 100 percent of the time with the Democrats. Now, Diane and I, uh, Commissioner Marseglia, and I had a discussion about this the other day, and she thinks that's great. Um, And I said, said, well, yeah, you did. But I said, let's go back a little in history. I said, you never voted 100% of the time with um, Charlie Martin and and, and, and uh, any of the Republicans. I never voted 100. Government's got to be some uh, uh, give and take. Yeah, gotta, got to some some constructive criticism. Uh, there's got to be options. And we're not getting that. It's all this all or nothing, we're going to end up with nothing. I think Andy's right in that, yes, that's the type of 
discourse, political dis- opposition discourse we want. We want healthy political opposition. We want you to state your position, me to state my position. And if we can't get together, if we can't get together on it, well, we'll vote then our let way. let the voters decide. Yes. But at least the voters have heard. Yes. I absolutely agree with the gentleman from Chalfont. Mm. <laughs> Maybe you two should kind of start a podcast where you're bringing on <laughs> people from the left and the right to have conversations. And you guys could be the co-hosts. Um, I'd love to do it, but I don't think too many Republicans will come on a show with me. Um, but I think maybe you two might be well positioned to at least let, let's get this conversation going. Maybe something to think about. <laughs> I, I, I'd be listening. I'd subscribe to that. I, I would promote that. Um, All right. Because I think you guys uh, bring great perspectives and, and great voices to the discussion. I have thought about it. And I think it's, I think you are right on target. And I read me this very sincerely. Um, Brick Bear starts doing once, a, he's got a Democrat and a Republican from the Senate, say, and he has a 15 second minute. We, we tried that. We did that with um, Greenwood and Kostmeyer after talking about the book. I absolutely agree. It. And if there's no newspapers, then we can't really blame the voters if they don't have anywhere to hear two different. I would I would do that in a minute. And if anybody's interested, call me up. We'll be there. I'd I'd, I'd help out if you wanted if you wanted my right. help. I okay. would help out. You've got to because I don't know how um, to but, turn this thing on and off. But once it's on, <laughs> I can go at it. <laughs> well, everyone. I just can't recommend Hal and Andy's book enough. Notes on Bucks County, Reflections on Politics in Pennsylvania's Most Curious and Captivating Collar County. One, go to your local bookstore, buy it, order it if it's not there, and read it. And with the holidays right around the corner, this makes a great gift for anyone in or from Bucks County. Because it it, it truly is a treasure of this county's just really, like they said, captivating history um, that we have. And I just learned so much from this book. And I just want to thank you both. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Hal, for coming on The Signal and talking about the book and sharing your knowledge. Thank you. It's been very enlightening, very enjoyable, and very constructive. Newtown Bookstore, I know, does have the book, the Amazon, etc. But this has been, and I sincerely thank you, um, I probably would have written on my letter a little differently had this occurred before. <laughs> Thanks yeah, a lot. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you and following up on our discussion. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Hal. This has been The Signal, a podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. I'm Cyril McGlego, editor-in-chief and host. For more progressive news, analysis, and opinion from Bucks County and beyond, go to www.buckscountybeacon.com. The Signal is produced by Kevin Mahoney at Raging Chicken Media. Intro-outro music by Moff et Tula, featuring Cartas a Felice, used with permission. Mm-hmm.